Okay, so the past couple of weeks we've been talking about the Yetzirah. We spent a few weeks ago talking about what the Yetzirah is and how it operates. Uh, last week we spoke about uh, nine or eleven different ways to fight it, to struggle with it. And tonight we're going to be talking about the Talmud's four tactics to not only fight and mitigate and minimize and attenuate and limit it, but also to defeat it entirely that it's no longer a factor in disrupting our spiritual lives. And I want to read this Gemara, which is going to be the guiding Gemara of this discussion in Brachos. A person should always agitate their Yetzer Tov on their Yetzer Ra. If he was successful in defeating it, Mutav, great. And if not, Yasok Batorah. So if this doesn't work, if agitating the Yetzer Tov on the Yetzer doesn't work, you should study Torah. If it works, if you defeat it, Mutav, great. And if not, Yetzer Kriyashma, then you should read the Kriyashma. If that works to defeat it, great. And if not, you should remind him of the day of death. So what this Gemara is referencing here is the word, the critical word here is nitzcho, which means to, to be victorious. If you're victorious over the Yetzirah, this is this is what this is the objective of our Gemara. That's the aim. It's not just to struggle with it to engage in conflict, but to overwhelmingly defeat it. We've described the battle with the Yetzirah in military terms. This is V-Day. This is victory over the Yetzirah, described in one of these four ways. But I think it's interesting. You know, we've referenced a Gemara in Nida several times. The Gemara is describing a pre-birth oath that is given, administered to every child, that they have to guard the purity of their soul. And what I found really interesting and maybe pertinent is that the actual words that the Gemara uses it needed to describe what it's like for someone who preserves the purity of the soul is the same as our Gemara. And I thought maybe it's apropos. Uh, so the Gemara there reads in Nida 30b that you should know that the Almighty is pure, the angels are pure, and the soul is pure. If you guard it in its purity, mutav, good. And if not, I'm going to take it from you. So what's interesting is that the same word that the Gemara uses, mutav, in our Gemara in Brachos, is the same Gemara in Nida, uh, that describes guarding the purity of their soul. And I think it's not just overlapping usage of word, but really, as we've, de- as we've demonstrated previously, the reason why our soul can potentially become sullied and the reason why we have to maintain its purity, we have to work to preserve and guard its purity, is specifically because of the Yetzirah. So with these two Gemaras, when the, the, and the term indeed, Mutav, applies to both of them. The Gemara in Brachos is trying to find a way for someone to defeat their Yetzirah. By doing that, they guarantee and assure that their soul will retain its purity. Because the reason, the condition by which the soul can potentially become impure is because of the Yetzirah. If you neutralize the Yetzirah, you overwhelm it, then your soul will be pure. There is a progression here. There's a point where we start. You start with, you should agitate the Yetzirah Tov and the Yetzirah. And if that works, fantastic, you could stop. If that doesn't work, you move on to studying Torah. If that works, great. If not, move on to the next thing. So what's really interesting here is that there's this progression where we're told a roadmap 
of how to defeat our Yetzirah, start here, try to overwhelm it with the Yetzir Tov, agitate it with the Yetzir Tov, you move on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And I was kind of conflicted in how uh, I understood this. I found in one of my uh, sources uh, the complete unabridged version of my grandfather's writings. He has an essay where he talks about this. And what he suggests is that there is a progression here of the, 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 the Chazala trying to teach us how we have to build a great Jewish person. We start off with the struggle of the Eitzer Tov and the Eitzer Ra. We move on to Torah study. We move on to love God, fear God of the Shema. And lastly, we kind of bind this world and next world with the notion or the thought, the contemplation, the rumination of our pending demise. That's what my grandfather says. I want to suggest a different approach. I want to suggest like this. So suppose you, someone was ill, so they need antibiotics. And in fact, a Gemara that we will hopefully still see tonight describes Torah study as an antidote for the Yetzirah. It's almost as if we have an illness with the Yetzirah, and there's a way to treat it with spiritual antibiotics in Torah. So it's not such a far thing to suggest. And, I th- and I, what I've researched is, apparently there's something called broad-spectrum antibiotics, which is antibiotics that acts against a whole wide range of disease-causing bacteria. And in contrast to that, there's somewhat of a narrow-spectrum antibiotics. And each one of them has their pros and cons. If I have a very narrow-spectrum antibiotics, it's only going to be effective against a small sliver, a small band of, of, of bacteria. But if I hit the right bacteria it's going to totally get rid of it. It's, it's the most effective if it, if, it's, if it hits right. So it's either entirely effective or not effective at all. Whereas if I have a very broad spectrum antibiotics, it's going to be effective, but it's not going to be entirely effective. And I think what this is suggesting, the progression is as follows. We start off with, with the most highly targeted and the best kind of antibiotics against our Yetzirah. If we succeed in the first one, we got it. We're done. Mutav. You don't have to do anything else. However, to do that, you have to really nail it. You have to, it's, it's, a, it's harder to be successful in uh, the best gold standard of finding the Yetzirah. So then we kind of expand the spectrum and to be more likely to be successful with the next stage, study Torah. If that doesn't work, we expand it further, but its effect is not as complete in defeating the Yetzirah. And lastly, the most effective way, which is guaranteed to, def- to defeat the Yetzirah, at least to a certain extent, is to remind it of the way of death. So what I want to do when we go through these one by one is to understand why we're descending from the best to the worst, so to speak, and why is the first one less likely to be effective than the next one. Means In each level, it's less likely to totally decimate the Yetzirah. If we have number one, we don't need to move on. But it's, it's, there's a chance that it won't work. Whereas if we try the last one, it's guaranteed to work. It's a very broad spectrum, but it's not as highly targeted. So that, that's the kind of the introduction. Okay, so let's look at the first one. La'olam yargiz adam Yetzir tov Yetzir. You should agitate, frustrate the Yetzir Ra, or Yetzir Tov on the Yetzir Ra. This seems to me to be what I call the gold standard of defeating the Yetzirah. 
Remember, what's the best way to be victorious in, the, in, a, in a battle? So, of course, you think you decimate the enemy. If you destroy, you carpet bomb the enemy, you destroy them, they are no longer a threat. But there's even a better way where there's no battle. The best way to do it is the no battle, and the best way entirely is where you convert an enemy, an erstwhile enemy, into an ally. When the Talmud is describing here, you take the Yetzer Tov and you propel it against the Yetzer Ra, what this is doing is the Yetzer Tov is influencing the Yetzer Ra, and it's turning the Ra, the evil inclination, into a good inclination. And if you have a good inclination and another good inclination, well, you only have good inclinations and only allies in your war of preservation of your soul, and therefore, well, if you only have allies, then there's no war entirely. And there's no attrition that happens with war. War is painful. If we can avoid the war entirely and have only allies, that's preferable. Now, how do I know that that's even a possibility? I found these two sources. Look at this, uh, this source number three here is from the Yerushalmi. Avraham Avinu Asa Yetzer Hara Tov. Avraham Avinu, of course, one of the greatest men that have ever lived. He made his Yetzer Ra, he made his bad inclination into good. He converted it into good. Aval David, but King David, lo haya King David, he's on a lower level than Abraham. Abraham had a Yetzirah. What did he do? He converted it into being a Yetzir Tov as well. He transformed what was bad, what was a threat, into an ally and a friend. King David wasn't as great as, uh, as Abraham. What he did, he murdered his Yetzirah. So what, what did he end up with? He ended up with a Yetzir Tov and a dead Yetzirah. But he didn't have two helpers, so to speak, two forces trying to do good. It's, it's still very good because the Yetzirah is not a threat at all. You eliminate the Yetzirah, but it's not quite as good as having an additional helper in your battle against uh, in your battle of, of achieving goodness. Now, so, so this, is the, the, this is the love. And I want to look at the next Gemara, because the next Gemara seems to disagree with this Gemara, but it does give a lot of perspective of what Avraham, Abraham, and the forefathers were like. So the Gemara says, this is Gemara in Baba Basra, huh? Gemara says, Three people in this world tasted Olam Abba. Who were they? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov. That's the first Gemara. Right afterward, says the Gemara, Three did not have the Yitzchak. The Yitzchak did not control. The Yitzchak had no control over them. Eluhain, who are they? Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Uh, the forefathers, their level of their defeat of the Yetzirah, it had no reign, had no control, sovereignty over them. They were indeed in control of the Yetzirah, not the other way around. V'yesh omrim avde David, And there's some opinions that say also David. My heart is hollow inside, says Rashi. Yitzri hara meis b'kirbi. My Yetzirah is dead inside me. So what's interesting, these two Gemaras... Uh, the Yerushalmi and the Gemara in, in Baba Basra and Bavli, they're arguing not about the facts of King David. Everyone agrees that King David killed his Yetzirah, whereas the forefathers, they achieved something greater than that. The only question is, is it, is it similar? 
is the fact that the Yetzirah is eliminated in both cases. In the case of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Yetzirah was converted into good. It was now two good Yetzirahs. Is that akin to someone who defeats their Yetzirah entirely, but doesn't convert it into good, like the case of David? But everyone agrees that the facts are the same between Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They converted the Yetzirah into Yetzir Tov, whereas King David, he murdered his Yetzirah. It was no longer a threat, but it wasn't quite good as well. Now, I want to I just understand what this means. So, so obviously, they we're talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is something that's beyond us. But the, the Gemara is teaching us lessons that are very valuable for us as well, even though we cannot quite achieve those levels. But there is insight there that's very valuable for us. The Midrash tells us that Ha'avos Hain Hain Hamirkava. The Avos, the forefathers, they are the chariot of God. Now what this means precisely, the Rishonim tell us, the Sfarna and the Ramban, what they say is like this. A chariot of a king is always ready for the king. The king decides, middle of the night, he wants to go get a coffee. The, the chariot of the king is always ready for him. What this means is when Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had prophecy, they were always in a state of readiness for prophecy. Why? Their Yetzirah was not a factor at all. It didn't influence them at all. None of its trap, it trappings, none of its machinations had any power over Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Therefore, they were entirely good. They were Yetzirah and Yetzirah. So the, all they were doing is mitzvahs and spirituality. They were living in an entirely different realm. Therefore, they were always in a constant state of readiness for God. Whereas, for example, the Sfarna tells us that uh, the verse says by Cain, by Cain in, in the beginning of Genesis, by Cain milifnei Hashem, that Cain, he left God. What this means is that Cain's spiritual level declined, and as a result, the prophecy ended. It wasn't that God removed himself from the prophet, rather the prophet demoted himself, thus losing the status of prophecy. Whereas, the verse tells us in Genesis as well by Abraham, Vayal Elohim al Avraham. When the prophecy ended, it was God choosing to leave because Abraham was still ready. Abraham was always ready for prophecy. He had no Yitzhak. Yitzhak was just good. And therefore, whenever God decided to give prophecy, he gave the prophecy. Whenever God decided to take away the prophecy, he removed himself. But it wasn't the prophet demoted himself and thus losing the stature needed for prophecy. And indeed, if someone does not have a Yitzhak, well, what do they have? All they have is good. Is it Double good in the form of the forefathers. Is it single good in the form of David? But regardless, that would result in them, in them not having something which inhibits them from God, and therefore they would always be ready for a, a, a spiritual uh, experience. Now the Gemara also says that three people tasted Olam Abba. This is an interesting thing. They tasted Olam Abba means they were able to experience life of a different world, a spiritual world. What this means, and it's, it's juxtaposed to our Gemara, three people tasted Olam Abba, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Three people had no Yitzhah Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So my grandfather wrote that these two are connected. If someone doesn't have a Yitzhah then automatically they're living in an entirely spiritually untethered realm. Their, their soul has nothing which is standing in its way. It has the state of purity. It, has, it fulfilled its task of maintaining its purity. It defeated the Yetzirah, and as a result, is automatically unhinged, un, un, unleashed. And by dint of that, that's a taste of Olam Abba. Olam Abba is a, t- is a world where the spiritual is dominant, and the physical is it's not even a factor. 
Well, the only reason why the physical for us is the dominant factor is because of the Yetzirah. You defeat the Yetzirah and automatically you revert to a state of soul superiority over body and as a result, you're tasting Olam Abba. Now what's interesting is, is that Avraham Avinu, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they have a taste of Olam Abba. That makes it very clear. They have a little bit of Olam Abba, but they don't have all of Olam Abba. It's not like they're living, they're immersed in Olam Abba. So, Whereas Moshe Rabbeinu, the sources are very clear that Moshe Rabbeinu existed entirely in Olam Abba. For example, the Gemara says, Olam Abba, you don't need to eat or drink. Well, who do we know that didn't eat or drink? Moshe Rabbeinu, four days, four nights, didn't eat and drink. Why? Because he had so removed himself from this world, he was able to go negotiate with angels. He was able to subsist 40 days on just spiritual sustenance. Why? Because he didn't need any physical sustenance because he was no longer almost a body. In fact, even the angels, when the Gemara in Shabbos says that the angels were saying, who is this guy? They didn't call him a human. You say, they said to him, why is there the, the, the child of a woman amongst us? And they might assess them to give him the Torah. You have the Torah that's 974 generations before the world. It's interesting. In one sentence, they are labeling humans once as Yelud Isha, when it's referring to Moshe, and once as Basar Vadam. The angels are telling us is that Moshe was a different physiologically human than the rest of the people. Most people are Basar Vadam, flesh and blood. Moshe Rabbeinu, yes, he was a human, but only with regards to Yelud Isha. In fact, Chazal called Mamalach. Right? Chazal, at the end of Dvarim Rabbah, say that Moshe Rabbeinu became a veritable angel. So indeed, Moshe Rabbeinu, he uplifted himself to an entirely degree. Yes, he was a human, but only because his mother was human. His, you know, he was born from a human. That's it. In every other realm, he was entirely living in Olam Abba. Indeed, Moshe Rabbeinu didn't taste Olam Abba. Moshe Rabbeinu existed in Olam Abba. Because Moshe Rabbeinu indeed removed all the reasons why someone is living in Olam Azet. And if you remember, we said that the Chazal tell us that there's three reasons why the soul can potentially become impure. Once, because it exists in a body. Two, because it exists in this world. And three, because it has the Yetzirah. What Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did, they eliminated the Yetzirah. So two, uh, or the most critical reason why the soul is not in Olam Abba was removed. Indeed, they had a taste of Olam Abba. Moshe Rabbeinu, he undid even the fact that he was in this world and even the fact that he was a body, that was no longer a factor and therefore he existed in Olam Ba entirely. I think the lesson from this is, I know we're getting a little bit off the core topic, but I think it is germane, is that what is Olam Ba? We think of Olam Ba as a location. Correct? You're, you're, you're in this location, you're moved to a different location. The problem with that is that it's untrue for two reasons. First of all, if it was true, that would mean that you're taking us the way we're currently constructed, a body host, the soul's inside the body, and you're moving us to a different location. That's what it seems like. The truth is, the sources are very clear that in Olam Abba, we're an entirely different human. What this actually means is that Olam Abba is a realm where our soul is unleashed. Our soul is no longer constrained by the body, by this world's influences, and by the Yetzirah. If you could theoretically undo the reasons why our soul can potentially become impure, like Moshe Rabbeinu did, automatically you're in Olam Abba, because your soul is unchanged, unchained. Moshe Rabbeinu, he indeed did not taste Olam Abba, he existed in Olam Abba because his soul entirely was untethered, not only just the fact that his Yetzirah was removed from him. I want to show you some proof from this. 
The famous Gemara in Sukkah tells us that in the future, the Almighty is going to take the Yetzirah and slaughter it in front of the Tzadikim, in front of the Rishon. Very famous, vivid Gemara in Sukkah. What this means is that La'asid Lava, which means in the future, on the doorsteps of Olam Abba, we're all going to be brought to Olam Abba. Well, how do we get to Olam Abba? How do you, if you want to know, how do you get to Olam Abba? The Gemara is telling us, you slaughter the Yetzirah. By doing that, you're already becoming like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to taste Olam Abba. You, you haven't moved. Abraham, before he destroyed his Yetzirah, and after he destroyed his he was in the same world, but internally, the makeup of who he is exposed his soul to a degree that it was set free, so to speak, and therefore it had a taste of Olam Abba. Moshe Bain's soul was set free entirely, and therefore it was in Olam Abba. Pretty remarkable. And this is what the Gemara is describing here. How do we become like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? By agitating our Yetzer Ra with our Yetzer Tov. Now, I think what this means is like this. We're using our Yetzer Tov to convert our Yetzer Ra. I, I think that the way this actually works is by agitating, like we have in this week's parsha, right? Altir Gizubaderach, which means don't fight, don't struggle. While you're, when Joseph tells his brothers going back to back after he reveals himself, he tells them, "Don't altir, don't fight along the way." Altir Gizubaderach. What this is telling us is that there's the Yetzer Tov and the Yetzer Ra. You have to fight with the Yetzer Tov on top of the Yetzer Ra. It's, it's the struggle. Tirdazu means the struggle. But what this means is, take the entirety of the Yetzir Tov, the entirety of the Yetzir Ra, and in every area, fight. And if you're successful in fighting in every single area, slowly you're converting the Yetzir Ra into Yetzir Tov. So what this is describing is not just one magic solution to convert Yetzir Tov, Yetzir Ra into Yetzir Tov. What it's describing is a struggle. Tirdazu, to, to fight in all the ways outlined by Chazal over the Yetzir Tov over the Yetzirah, and slowly convert it bit by bit. Every time you resist the Yetzirah, you are weakening its rawness, its badness, and converting it to slightly good. If you do that entirely, you'll eventually become like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But of course, we can't maybe do it entirely, but to whatever degree we do it, we're slowly converting our Yetzirah into a Yetzir Tov. But practically, what does that mean? What, meaning, practically, what is, the Gemara, what is the Gemara advising a simple person who's trying to overcome the Yetzirah? So, so the Rashi tells us there. Yeah. Rashi, not quite there, Rashi elsewhere in Sanhedrin tells us that what this means is the Yetzirah tells you to do a sin, go do a mitzvah instead. Which means it's almost using its power that it's kind of thrusting you to do something, which is a sin, it's saying overcome it and actually take that energy and redirect it into a mitzvah. My grandfather in Ali Shur and in this uh, speech, he invoked Rabbi Tzadok. Rabbi Tzadok famously said that a person sometimes gets very dejected when they find their Yetzirah is so overwhelmingly powerful in whatever area of life. And Rabbi Tzadok says that that should be an instance of drawing inspiration. Why? Because specifically in the area where the Yetzirah is strongest, that is the place where you're destined to achieve your greatness. Thus, you, and how do you do that? By, by redirecting it. By re, the Yetzirah wants you to sin, do a specific mitzvah, and thus, in a weird way, the Yetzirah is what's going to propel you to, toward your greatness. I suggested previously here that Another way to look at this year to frustrate it 
is to force its hand. So, for example, if I, uh, if I made a little pact with myself, if I said, okay, I'm going to give charity if the Texans win the football, the football game, right? Suppose, you know, people say that. Uh, if the Texans win, oh, I'll give charity, right? What they're, in fact, doing is they're causing both their Yetzer Tov and their Yetzer Ra to want to give charity. Why? Yetzer Ra wants you to be involved in football. Yetzer Tov wants you to do mitzvahs. How do you make them overlap, that they both want you to give charity? You link what the Yetzer Ra wants with what the Yetzer Tov wants. I'll give charity if the Texans win the game, and now every one of them is rooting to, do, to give, give charity. And you're kind of forcing, you're agitating, you're agitating your Yetzirah by causing it to desire to give charity. Rabbi Sral Salanter famously said that the Yetzir Tov is someone's intellect. Yetzir Tov is a, there's a, there's a paucity of Gemaras describing what the Yetzir Tov is. There's a hundred Gemaras talking about the Yetzirah, very few Gemaras talking about the Yetzir Tov. So Mr. Salantar famously in a, in a letter, he has a whole question, what is the Yetzir Tov? And he says either it's the Seichel, the intellect, or it's the Neshama. But uh, if we say it's the Seichel, it's the intellect, what this also means is that you're using your intellect to struggle and battle with the Yetzir Ra. Um, the reason why I said this idea of, of charity, because the Gemara does say, the famous Gemara in Baba Basra, that says... That someone says, someone, what the Gemara is describing, someone pledges to give charity, uh, provided that they get some sort of kickback in the form of their child being healthy and secure. And the Gemara says, I raise a side of drummer, behold, this is a completely righteous person. And the question is, is, wait a minute, if someone is saying, I want a kickback from the charity, that's good, you're still giving charity, but isn't it better to give charity without string, with no strings attached? That would be even greater. So why is the Gemara saying this is outside of Gemara? But according to this, according to our understanding, or one of our understanding of, of, of this Gemara, what this guy is actually doing, he's Channel, accomplishing not only, not only charity, but also overcoming the Yetzirah, because he is kind of using this tactic to force the Yetzirah to also want to give charity, and thus to become a tzaddik. What's a tzaddik? Someone who defeats the Yetzirah. And thus, his ultimate goal is fighting the Yetzirah. The means that he does it is by kind of handcuffing his Yetzirah and forcing him to sign on to a mitzvah and but to come good. And thus, even if, even, if, uh, even if the kid dies, it's not really what he wants. What he really wants is to defeat the Yetzirah, and that's why he's a tzaddik gummer. Uh, but this, I think, is interesting. Like, if someone really, if someone does this, first of all, what does this demonstrate? It demonstrates that they are taking this Seriously, they, they recognize that they have headwinds in their pursuit of greatness. They understand what's kind of ticking them and how it's operating and how to try to navigate it for them. That's, that's someone who's a tzaddik. How do you precisely understand this? Now, I think it makes a lot of sense why the Gemara says that this may not work entirely. If you successfully win, great. If not, you should study Torah. What this means is that it might not work, and it makes sense why it might not work. Because for someone to do this, they have to convert their Yetzer Tov, Yetzer Ra, entirely into good, and that's something which is a tall task. If someone could do that, that's the best thing, that's the gold standard. But it might not necessarily work, so let's move on to the next best option, which is Torah study. Now, why would Torah study be the next best option? Why would, be, why would not be the next best option? So I want to skip a little bit here. Famous Gemara introduction. Gemara says the Samtem, which is place the words of Torah. The Gemara uh, tries to understand this by saying Samtam, which means it's a perfect antidote, a perfect um, medicine. 
Nimshla Torah Kasamachayim. Torah is compared to an elixir of life. And it gives this mushal, it gives this story, this example. A man hits his son with a tremendous wound. Good parenting. And placed a bandage on top of the wound. And he tells him, my son, so long as this bandage is on top of your wound, you can eat what you want, you can drink what you want, you can take hot baths, cold baths, you don't have to worry about anything. But if you take off the bandage, you're going to have boils. It's, your wound's going to be inflared. So too says the Almighty to, to the Jewish people. Bani, uh, Bonai, my children, Barasi Yetzirah, I created the Yetzirah, i.e. the wound. Barasi lo Torah, I created the Torah as an antidote or a spice. We'll see that in a little bit. If you study Torah, you don't, you, you don't have to worry about it. So this is an interesting example here. The, the father strikes the son, makes a wound, but puts a bandage on top of the wound. The Almighty gives us a wound, which is the Yetzirah, but puts the bandage on top of the wound, which is the Torah. Provided we have the Torah, the wound is not a problem. But if we take off the Torah, the wound is a problem. So what's interesting, we started off, the, the gold standard is someone who converts the Yetzirah into good. There's no wound at all. All you have is a Yetzirah Tov and a Yetzirah Tov. Or even in the case of David, you have a dead Yetzirah. It's not at all a factor. Torah is great. It's, it's a complete antidote to the Yetzirah, but the wound is still there, and it can potentially get inflared if you remove the Torah. Indeed, once the Torah is there, you're, you're safe. Eat what you want, drink what you want, right? I.e., you, you, you can expose yourself to situations that may potentially cause the Yetzirah to overwhelm you. But, provided you have Torah, you have protection. You remove the Torah, the protection's gone, and the Yetzirah will roar back uh, with uh, ferociousness. But what this what really shows a step down. Uh, the gold standard, you have just the Yetzir Tov and another Yetzir Tov. You don't have to worry about it at all. You don't even need a bandage to cover the wound. But in this instance, you do need a bandage, but it's a total bandage and provides total protection against the Yetzir Ra. How, how does this work? God willing, next week, we're going to go through this question. Okay, there's a fantastic Gemara in Sota. My grandfather said in this Gemara in Sota, if anyone wants to come to Hamachacham, they have spent a lot of time trying to understand this Gemara in Sota. Gemara that says uh, oh. that Torah is compared to a uh, Torah, Torah is compared to a, a, a light, whereas a mitzvah is compared to a candle. Someone's walking in the middle of the night, the, the darkness, they have a candle, they have a little bit of illumination, they still have uh, potential pitfalls, and if they have mourning, then they're saved, etc. And the Gemara compares that to Torah, how Torah actually helps us fend off the Yetzirah. But either way, we at least have a, 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 a kind of a, a, we dipped our toe into this tomorrow. We see the gold standard of finding the Yetzirah, which is to turn it into good. If, that's, if, that, if you do that, great. You don't have to do anything else. Otherwise, you have to do Torah. Torah, again, provides complete protection against the Yetzirah, but it doesn't eliminate the threat. It neutralizes the threat. It, uh, it kind of harnesses the threat. It tethers the threat. It, it removes the threat temporarily, but the threat is still there, but still provides complete protection. And how that works is really, really interesting.